next week we have a brand new series starting called Junk in the Trunk. Um, you know, uh, we think that you can you can have some fun in church. And so uh, we're going to be talking about some of the things that are keeping us and holding us back from becoming the person that God wants us to be. You don't want to miss it. Uh, what we pull out for Easter, we'll pull out for that. It's going to be incredible. Come back next week. We do church 52 weekends a year, not just one. So we'd love to have you back. And uh, so that's my personal invitation to you. All right, cool. Anyways, hey, um, we're really, really excited about today. I love Easter. I love leading up to Easter. In fact, last weekend, I had my niece and my nephew in town. They're, they're five and they're six years old. And Shayla and I were their godparents. Shayla's my wife. And uh, we just had this incredible time with them. And I love hanging out with with kids because they understand technology really well. I'm like the technology inept person in our household. In fact, when we go to buy cell phones, Shayla and I, I have to buy whatever cell phone Shayla's buying because I need somebody to tell me how to work it. Anybody else like that in here? Like you need some instructions from somebody else. Like I can never figure it out. I'm like, how do I get my email? Like I'm throwing my phone. Like I'm just mad. She's like, here, you hit this button. And it's like, oh man, why don't you show me that? You know, and so my niece and my nephew, they love technology, and so they're like, Uncle TJ, Uncle TJ, have you played this game called Mr. Jump? Any of you guys played the game Mr. Jump? Some of you, okay, one of you, okay. You're about to, I'm just going to tell you that, um, they're like, there's this game that we love, it's called Mr. Jump, it's incredible, and so I download this game because I want to I want to appease my niece and my nephew, and I want to be cool. I want to be the cool uncle. Everybody has to be the cool uncle. And so I'm playing this game, and basically what it is is it's, you just hit your screen, and every time you hit your screen, it jumps, and if you hold it, it jumps longer. It's stupid. And uh, uh, like, it, in fact, I went online, and I started reading about it. They're saying it's the brand-new Flappy Bird. You guys all remember Flappy Bird. It was all the rage a year ago. This is the new Flappy Bird. So if you don't have it, download it after service, not during service, okay? Like, I want you to pay attention to the message. Some of y'all are like, I'm already there. That's messed up. Come on, give me, give me like 15 minutes at least. Um, and so I'm, I'm like, man, this, this, they're like, this is the best game ever. And, and that's cool. Like, everybody thinks it's great, but I hate this game. I hate it. In fact, I, we took a screenshot of, of us trying to play it at the offices and stuff. And so this is, this is Mr. Jump. Basically, you just jump over these spiky things and onto these things. And it's really exciting, and usually this is what happens to me. Game over. That, that's my life when I play Mr. Jump. Like, it, it, it sucks. Like, it's, it's constant. What Mr. Jump is, is it's continuous killing. That's what it is. Like, my God dies every time. And every time I do good, I might get like 15 or 16 jumps in a row, and I feel like I'm doing really, really well in my game-playing skills. And then the very next game that I play, I get like two jumps, and I feel like a loser. And so it's, it's this continuous thing. And so this game is very, very frustrating and very, very addicting. I encourage you not to go get it. Uh, but I was thinking about Mr. Jump, and I was thinking about the reality is, is that Mr. Jump is a lot like our lives. A lot of us, we're, we're going through life, and we're trying to get from point A to point B. We're trying to get someplace, and we have all these obstacles. We've got all these things that are in our way that we're continuously having to get past or get through or get over. And for some of us, it's, we're, and, 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 and it's like these obstacles just keep coming up, whether it's 
all of a sudden our kids having some trouble at school and it's like an obstacle comes up or we're having trouble with this addiction and it keeps popping up in our life or we're struggling with our finances and it, they just keep every single month it seems that there's more bills than there is money and it's just these continual things pop up over and over again and when you think you're getting ahead in life and you're you're making some progress and you're making a jump and you're making a jump and you feel like man i'm being so successful all of a sudden another obstacle aligns and all of a sudden it's game over for that area of our life and sometimes we feel like mr jump at least i feel like my life is a lot like that because there's challenging moments and there's frustrating moments and and it's easy for us to wonder in those moments, like, where is God in this situation? Come on, let's be honest here. This is church. When we're in those moments where it seems like we're going after obstacle after obstacle, where is God in all of this? We just kind of throw our hands up and we say, man, if God is this all-loving God and he is all about our lives and making us have the best life now, then where is he in these situations where I'm trying to get from here to there. And that's why it's so important for us to pause and to remember on Easter that God is for us, even in the midst of whatever circumstance, even in the midst of whatever dilemma, even in the midst of whatever challenge that you're facing today. And, and it feels like a lot of times we're just getting trying to get to the next level, but God is right there with us. And today we're going to be looking in our Bibles, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be hanging out in Romans chapter 8. And if you didn't know this, uh, the Bible every year is the best-selling book in the entire world. In fact, they, they, they took it off the best-selling list because they got so tired of it being number one on the best-selling list year after year after year. If they were put it up, it would be an overwhelming margin. Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't have anything on the Bible. Um, and, and so they actually say that a lot of scholars believe that Romans is actually the most powerful book in the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. And a lot of people believe that Romans chapter 8 is the most powerful chapter in all of Romans. And so today we're going to be looking at the very best of the best of the best. Because I believe that God has got something absolutely incredible for each and every one of us here today. He wants to do something ridiculous in your life today. And Paul is writing here to the church in Rome, and this is what he says. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Now, he's writing to the people, and he's saying, man, the wonderful things that he's writing about right here, he just talked about, he's talking about the fact that God has chosen us, that God believes in us, that God has got a hope, and he's got a future for us, and he's working on our behalf. And this is the hope that we all have. These are all the wonderful things that Jesus did for us when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. This is the hope that he's talking about. And then he asks this question. He goes, if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? Now, Paul, he's asking a rhetorical question here. He's not really asking a question. More or less, he's making a statement. He's making a statement right here, a rhetorical question. Here's a good example. If you want to know what a, a normal rhetorical question is, is that every guy has probably experienced that. You're sitting at home in your bedroom, and your wife walks out, and she asks you this question. Do I look fat in these jeans? That is a rhetorical question. That is not a question you are supposed to answer, guys. Or if you value your relationship and you want no drama with your mama, you say, babe, you look hot in those jeans. That is the correct answer. 
it's always, no, you don't look fat. And if, and if she says, like, man, they're really, really tight, you go, babe, you haven't gained an ounce. That's the dryer shrinking them. Some of y'all need to write that down. That's going to that's gonna save you a lot of strife in life right there. And so, and so Paul, Paul is, this is the rhetorical question. And Paul is saying, man, if God is for us, then there is nothing that can stand in our way. And so if you're taking notes here today, the first thing that you need to know that Easter tells us is that God is for us in Jesus. God is for us in Jesus. Um, when, I was, when I was 19 years old, I was living in Texas, and uh, I, I love living in Texas. And my friend and I, we decided to go to Dallas for um, a, a day and just hang out. And we were at the Galleria Mall in Dallas. Anybody ever been to the Galleria Mall in Dallas, Texas? Uh, like two ladies. Okay, perfect. So they, they have a lot of money because it's really expensive there. And so we're just walking around this mall. We're just hanging out. We're 19-year-olds. And we're walking and we're talking. And, and as we're walking, this has never happened before in my life. I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. But as we're walking and we're talking, all of a sudden my friend just kind of throws up. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt too. He just like pukes, and we just keep on walking like nothing ever happened. And we get like 15 steps, and I, I, I like, I like, Dave, you okay? He's like, Yeah, I feel pretty good right now. I, I was like, Are, are you sure? Because you just threw up back there. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, I, I feel better now. I was like. I saw a bathroom a little ways back. You want to turn around and go to that? And he's like, yeah, that might be a good idea. I'm like, yeah, you just threw up everywhere. And so uh, we turn around and we're starting to walk back towards the scene of the crime, you know. And, uh, and as we're walking back, right when we turn around, we're like 15 feet away. We see this elderly woman take a step right into it. Yeah, exactly. And, and the next thing we see is we see her feet in the air. And she falls right in it. And she's sitting there in the Galleria Mall on the floor. And she lifts up her hands. And she looks at them. And she goes, what's this? And I'm like, that's lunch, you know. <laughs> and we're walking in like, what do you do? Like this lady's sitting in the puke for the, your friend just threw up on. And and. Like, her friends come up next to you, and they're trying to help her up, so we just keep walking. Like, that's like, my friend's a ticking Tom Bob. That dude's about to throw up again, and so uh, trying to get him to the bathroom. He doesn't make it, but that's, that's a different story. And, and I thought about that story this week, and I, I think it relates so much to our lives. A lot of times, we're going through life, and, and we've got enough messes on our own. I mean, we create enough messes for ourselves that we don't need to walk into anybody else's mess, do we? But it seems like over and over and over again, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, no matter how many messes we try to just facilitate on our own, it seems like a lot of times we're walking into some messes that other people created, and we're sitting there, and we're looking at our lives, and we're looking at our hands, and we're going, what's this? What's this? How did I end up in this business arrangement with this person? How did I end up in being so in love with someone and all this romance and all this love and adoration to now where we hate each other's guts. What's this? How in the world did my kids end up this way when I raised them this way? What's this? 
We find ourselves in the middle of a mess, and we ask ourselves when we're in the middle of that, where it's really easy to go, like, how can God be for me and still allow me to end up in this kind of mess? And Paul continues to speak to this in, in Romans chapter 8, in the very next verse. He doesn't just make the statement, but he gives us this proof so we can wrestle with the logic that's going on inside of us, because a lot of us we're very logical. We have these questions, and we're trying to understand and get everything answered before we make a decision on God. And so Paul is talking directly to you, very well-educated person that has to understand everything. And this is what he's going to say to you so that you know that God is for us. In verse, 30, in, excuse me, in verse 32, it says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Now, he's using a form of logic here to communicate with them. And what he's saying is he's saying, if God has done the greater thing, if God's done the big thing, is he not going to take care of the little things? And so what he's saying is he's saying, if God has done the greater thing in the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, his very best son, to come and to live and to die this painful, sinful brutal death, and then rose again so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. If God was willing to give that much, if he was willing to make this big of a sacrifice, is he not going to take care of everything else in life? Is he not going to take care of the lesser things, which are the, the minuscule things that we think are really, really big deals in our life? And some of you guys are like, well, what, what's everything else? What does that mean for me? What are all of those things that God has taken care of? And I think when you start looking at the world and you start looking at humanity, you start to realize that we are very sinful beings, which means that we just missed the mark, that we screw up a lot. Most of us, if we just look at our lives, we realize, man, I screw up a lot. I mess up a lot. And it doesn't take much to realize the world is very much that way. All you got to do is read some headlines in the newspaper today or watch like five minutes of CNN and you'll figure out really quick the world is pretty jacked up right now. And I think we would all agree with that. And we look at that and we go, man, I'm, I'm experiencing personally some personal difficulties. And let me just say this, just because you've become a person of faith doesn't mean that you won't experience personal difficulties. A lot of churches just get up and say, man, you accept Jesus, everything's rainbows and butterflies. Lie not true. The reality is, is that there's personal difficulties that are still going to arise in your life. But the, the things that God is going to take care of is he's going to say, listen, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have some messes in your life. What it means is that God is going to be right there in the mess with you. And that while he's in the mess with you, he's not going to abandon you in the mess. In fact, he's going to lift you out of the mess and help you live the life that you've always intended to live. And you're going to go through some seasons where there's going to be some messes so you can get to the other side where the victory is going to be. But sometimes you've got to go through the fire to get the results that you're looking for. And God is saying, man, he's never going to abandon you. And the same power that rose Christ from the grave is available to you today. And so Paul says, remember the logic that if God did the greater thing, then he's going to take care of the lesser things in life, which is everything that we need. And then verse 33, he says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? I love that right there, man. Let me just tell you something. Person that's been rejected, person that's been abandoned by your family, that's been rejected by the opposite sex, that's been abandoned through your friendships, that's lost out on jobs, you feel like nobody loves you and nobody cares about you. And I know that you're out there because I was sitting out there one day too. 
God has chosen you. God loves you so much that he chose you. He didn't say you're a nobody. He said you're a somebody to me. And he knows you by name and he loves you and he's brought you to this moment so that you can realize that you need to choose him too. It says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen of his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. See, God has given us right standing with himself. God's given us right standing with himself because he sent Jesus to die on the cross because the reality was is that sin separated us from God and because God is a just God that he requires everything that's around him to be holy and be perfect. And he knew that we were separated because we were unholy and we were imperfect. And he had to send his son to take the shame, to take the punishment, to take everything that was required of our lives for what we had screwed up for, to be the one to transfer it, to build the bridge so that we could have relationship back with God. And it declares to us on Easter that God is for us in spite of what's happening all around us. And we can hang our lives on that thing. A year ago, I was, uh, I was on an airplane ride. I was flying back from L.A. to South Florida, and it was a, it was a red-eye flight. And I, I, I was kind of just hanging out, and I, I couldn't sleep, so I decided there were some screens on the things, and I was going through the movies. And I'd never seen the movie Frozen. How many Frozen fans do we have out here? Every parent knows the movie Frozen. A lot of adults, it's their favorite movie. You're weird, okay? Uh, but I, I, like, I was like, I've never seen this movie. I don't have kids, so like, I just want to know what all the rage is. Why does every kid have a frozen backpack? And that, why are they singing Let It Go? Like, like, is this just a counseling session or what's up? Like, let it go, let it go. It's weird. And so uh, I watched the movie Frozen, and, and I fell in love with one of the characters. I fell in love with a guy named Olaf. I think he's on the screen here right there. Everybody remember Olaf? Olaf is a snowman. And, uh, and Olaf, we could use more Olafs in life. Come on now, if you've seen Frozen, we could all use some more Olafs. Olaf is like this, the most loyal, loving friend that you could possibly find. And there's a, a girl in the movie named Anna. And Anna is in this castle in one of the parts. And she is really, really cold. And she's actually starting to freeze to death, hence the name Frozen. And, uh, and so Olaf, being the good friend that he is, realizes that and says, man, I need to warm Anna up. And so he starts a fire, which is never a good idea when you're a snowman. Um, and so he starts a fire. And as Anna is coming to, as she's getting revived because warmth and heat is coming to her, she starts to realize what's happening to her friend and her rescuer. And she looks at Olaf and she goes, Olaf, you're melting. And if you've seen the movie, he just turns and he says to her, some people are worth melting for. Some people are worth melting for. Listen, friends. Easter is a reminder to us that God says that every one of you are worth melting for. In fact, Easter is a declaration that God said you're worth dying for. And if you're worth dying for, then he's worth living for. He's worth living for. And he chose you. He said, man, I'll die for you. And for you, and for you, and for you, and for you, and for you. I chose you. He went all the way to the cross so we could experience his love, his grace, his mercy. And Easter isn't just what God did for you. It's declaring that he is for you, even when it feels like everything in this world is against you, because he chose you.
Secondly, Easter declares that God can bring you back to life. God can bring you back to life. I'm a, I'm a huge uh, zombie movie and Walking Dead fan. Any Walking Dead fans in the house? Yeah, a couple of Walking Dead season finale, amazing. Uh, like, if you're not a Walking Dead fan, like, go get Netflix. It'll change your life. And, uh, and so I, I love zombie movies. I got hooked on it a couple of years ago. A friend said, you have to go see this movie called Zombieland. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. And I was like, this is awesome. I love zombies now because they're like zombie. Like when I think about zombies, I think, oh, this is stupid. But like zombies, they're just this mindless. They're like, you know, that's what I think about with zombies. And I'm like, I relate to that. Like, I'm a guy. Like, I get that. I just want to kind of exist in this world. And, and so I love The Walking Dead. I love those shows. The best part about watching zombie movies is the fact that my wife hates zombie movies. And there's nothing better than Sunday nights be like, Walking Dead's coming on, and watching her, like, squirm and jump and all those things, it causes a lot of tension in our household. It's awesome. And she's always like, why do you watch these stupid shows? It's just mindless. And I'm like, Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Figure it out. Got me, you know, and uh, just a little insight into the troubles in our home. So you can be praying for that. She'll convert here eventually. The reality is, is you don't have to like the Walking Dead or zombie movies to realize that there are a lot of people in this life that are just, they're living life like zombies. They are. They're just, they wake up in the morning, they get in their car, they drive to work. They go through work motions, they get in their car, drive to some practice, get done with practice, get in their car, drive home, make some dinner, watch a couple hours of TV, turn out the lights, and start over again, all over again. And they're just existing in this world. They're just walking around aimlessly like, oh, you know, and not even thinking about what's going on. And I think a lot of us, we exist that way because of hurts in our past, because of rejection that's been in our lives, because of for unforgiveness that we can't let go of some things and some things are holding us back from living a life that we've always wanted to live and because some of those things have happened it's keeping us and it's just making us exist it's exactly why we're doing our series junk in the trunk next weekend because we want to deal with some of those things we want you to come back to life not to just experience life through jesus but experience the fullness of that life and that means ridding yourself of some of the disappointments with some of the hurts with some of the pain of life that has kept you from fulfilling the potential that God has for you. And so don't miss out on your opportunity to not just live, get this new life, but to live your life freely because that's what God is all about. And I know that uh, I'm a skeptical person when people say like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be incredible. But this is what I know is some of you guys have lost passion for life and you're just shuffling along and you need a jolt of something. And that jolt is going to be Jesus and some coffee and it's going to be awesome. And so come back next week. It'll, it'll rock your world. And Easter is constantly reminding us that God's love can bring us back to life just like Jesus was brought back to life. In verse 34, it says this, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He says he died for us and he was raised to life. That's what Easter is all about. And it says, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Not only did he come for us, but he died for us. And that power that raised him to, from the grave is available to us so we can live this new life. And a lot of us, I think we're missing out on life because we're surrounded by the wrong sort of people in life. 
And I think church is one of the great places where you can find people that are of one mind and of one accord, where they're, they're not about all the things they're against. They're about the fact that they've experienced Jesus and they found grace and they found this mercy and they found this love. And that love is something that can unify them to help them become the person that God wants them to be. Because everywhere in life is trying to separate us from things. Everywhere in soci society is telling us to, to be discriminated based on what, how, what our income level is, whether we're rich or whether we're poor. doesn't matter in church. It, it discriminates us based on the, our ethnicity or our race. doesn't matter in church. It discriminates against us based on what we're wearing. Some people are wearing suits today. Some people are wearing shorts. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to God is you and I because God wants us to realize that we are the most important thing to him. And if when we start focusing on the fact that, that all of us matter to God and God, you're the most important thing to him, that unifies us and gets us on one track to live the life that he has for every single one of us. And I hope that every time you come in here, you see people from all different socioeconomical places, all different educational places, all different ethnic backgrounds. None of that stuff matters. All that matters is that Jesus is the focus. Because Easter is declaring that, man, God is for us. And then when Jesus died on the cross, that we can have new life. Yeah, that's a good place, too. And last Easter, there was a girl that walked in here for the very first time. Her name was Jasmine, and uh, she had been pretty disenfranchised with church and uh, had been hurt a lot in life. And we were talking about the fact that Easter changes everything last year. And Easter changed everything for Jasmine. In fact, I want you to take a look at her story behind me. I grew up in Indiana. I have been living in Florida now. It'll be three years in August. Um, I was an only child. Uh, my mom was a single mom. She had me really young. She was 19 when she had me. So I had to grow up fast. As I got older, um, it was hard for me to really uh, figure out who I was because there was a lot of change. There was a lot of moving. My parents were separated. My mom was just trying to figure out her own life. So, you know, that one person that you look to was trying to figure it out too. And so I kind of was, had to figure it out on my own. And uh, so in school, I would always try to see where I fit in. Where can I uh, be, you know, known? Where can I, where can, how can people see me? How, how can I have a good time? How can, you know, because as an only child, I just wanted people to hang out with. I just wanted to have those relationships. And something so innocent turned into my biggest enemy. Like, it, it turned into me just trying to find out who I am. Um, I was spent so much time uh, trying to f find myself in relationships and trying to find myself in how successful I was and when it came to school and trying to find myself in um, whether or not guys liked me or, or things that were kind of just common uh, for other people really mattered to me to the point where I was almost willing to do anything to fit in. Um, so I was just lost. I didn't know what I was doing with my life, where I was going. And it got to the point, to, I was so physically overwhelmed by it that I had a massive anxiety attack and every single muscle in my body cramped and I couldn't breathe and I thought I was gonna die and I ended up in the emergency room. It was literally the pressure of life had affected me in a physical way. 
and those things affected me to be bedridden, having to look at my family and say, I don't know what I'm doing right now. So years and years, fast forward to all that, I'm here, I'm in Florida, um, you know, trying to start over again. Uh, didn't really work out back home. And I'm living with my mom, and uh, I start hanging out with the wrong people again, making worse decisions. I started to experiment with prescription drugs and marijuana and heavy, heavy drinking. Um, I, I'll never forget, I went to a party, uh, a graduation party for one of my friends. Um, and the only way that I felt that I was going to be able to have a good time is if I was loose. So I had smoked uh, marijuana. I was uh, drinking. I had actually taken Xanax. So I was under the influence of all three of those things so that I could have a good time. That's when I knew that this isn't me. This isn't, this isn't me. I shouldn't have to try so hard to be who naturally I know I want to be. And so after that, uh, it was in the back of my head of like, you need to change, something needs to be done. And so um, I had one Sunday off and it was Easter Sunday. And that's when the first time that I went to Coastal. And the name of the service on Easter was, this changes everything. I heard the testimonies and I saw, you know, the people that were just so on fire and so excited to be at church and just, you, you can tell something was different about them. And I wanted that. And I'm like, what is this? What's, what's this church all about? Because these are some pretty cool people and I want to come back. At that moment, God tugged at my heart and he pulled hard, harder than he'd ever pulled in my life before and started presenting me with these opportunities and it came down to what are you going to do? Are you going to keep doing and playing around what you've been doing? Are you going to come with me and follow me and experience what I have planned for you? And so I said yes <laughs> to God essentially. Uh, I got baptized uh, in July of 2014 and made the decision um, to run after God and seek and just see whatever he had for my life. And I haven't turned back since. I started uh, getting, uh, having friends that actually cared about me and didn't have to do those things to have a good time. And uh, people that wanted to see me grow and to see me chase after God and to have that relationship with God. People that were genuinely interested in seeing me grow. This new life that I have now is better than any drug, any amount of partying, any amount of going out there and having a good time. I don't need any of that stuff anymore. And I finally owned me, you know. I'm weird, I'm obnoxious, I'm loud, I'm funny, I'm all that. And I used to hate that about myself, but now I embrace it. Jasmine said there at the end, she said she found this new life. Found this new life and she loves that life better than the life she was trying to live before. Tired of trying to live for the applause of other people, trying to live up to their expectations and find her place so many of us, we, we go through life and we're trying to live up to other people's expectations and 
trying to find our place and trying to find our significance and we feel like when we fail in life that man, everybody's looking at us and saying man we, we're just, there's just this condemnation that comes on us and all of us feel like we can't come to God because of that like you don't know what I've done or how big I've screwed up or what are the mistakes that I've made or the family life I grew up in and God could never love me God could never accept me and we just read that there is no condemnation God doesn't condemn you. The reality is, is most of the condemnation that we experience in life is self-condemnation. It's the things that we put on ourselves and say, like, we determine. Nobody else has determined that, but we determine that. And I love that Romans says, who condemns you? No one. See, God isn't condemning you. God loves you. He loves you more than life itself, and he he wants to give you life, and He wants to give you hope, and He wants you to experience grace, and He wants you to experience mercy today. He doesn't want what Jesus did, this greater thing that Jesus did, to be in vain. He wants it to mean something. The greatest meaning that it could have is for you to experience it. For you to experience a relationship with God. I'm not talking about rules. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about being part of some sort of a cult. I'm talking about knowing the creator of the universe. And Romans says this. It says the way that we have a relationship with God is we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus died for us and is Lord. And the Bible says that we will actually be saved. And some of you guys are like, well, saved from what? Saved from what's been separating us from God. Our sin and our mistakes and the guilt and the shame that we carry. And what Jesus did on the cross takes all of that away. And he gives us the opportunity to have new life because he showed his unfailing love when he died and he rose again. And what that signifies is that no matter what you're going through, that God is for you and that he wants to give you a new life. But more than that, he wants to make you victorious in your life. He wants you to recognize that you can be victorious too. And I love what verses 35 and 37 says. It said, it says this in 35, can anything ever separate us from God's love? And he goes on a list like death and, and, and calamity and sickness and all these, all the things that we struggle with. He says, listen, none of those things can separate us from God's love. And then in verse 37, he says, no, despite all of that stuff, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I love his wording there overwhelming victory. It's kind of like the victory that Duke put on Michigan State last night, like where it was just a complete beatdown. You know, it was over eight minutes in. That's the kind of victory that Jesus wants to bring to your life, where there's no question about who's in charge, that even though it might be a mess in the beginning, if you watch the first four minutes, Michigan State came out all like crazy, but then God showed up and overcame. I'm a Duke fan, so... But in your life, it feels like you're going through a mess and God wants to show up and overcome. He does. Maybe today, some of you, you need new life. Maybe today, some of you need to have some victory in life. Maybe for some of you today, it feels like everything and everyone has been against you. You need to recognize today that God 
is for you above all else. And for some of you, there's this thing going on inside of you that feels like, man, there's this tension inside of your chest right now, and maybe your palms are sweaty, mom's spaghetti, you know, little M&M going on inside of you. That's not M&M, that's the Holy Spirit doing a work in it. He's saying, man, it's time for you to make a choice to follow me. It's time for you to make a decision to follow me. And I know some of you are like, well, I don't have all the facts and I don't have all the figures. That's what faith is. It's just taking a step and saying, God, I'm going to trust even though I don't have it all figured out. And let me tell you something. I'm a pastor and I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all the answers yet. But this is what I know is I don't ever want to follow a God that I can figure out. honest. If I'm figuring out, he ain't very powerful. Because I'm not very smart. But God wants to meet you today. Don't miss your moment. We're going to pray here in a moment. You're going to have the opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus today. And there's some of you guys that you've never made that decision. And this is going to be a day where you're going to meet him for the very first time. Then there's others of you You've met him and you've kind of fallen away and maybe it's time to come back home. Maybe today is the day that you come back home to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you. And what I love about Easter is the fact that you came and you lived a sinless life and you died and you rose again so that we could have life and we could have it more abundantly. And Easter is this declaration that you are for us and that you want to bring new life to us and that you have overwhelming victory for us. And maybe you're out there today and this is the day that you need to, you need to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. And, and when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to just to raise your hand up with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you just raise your hand up, it says if you, if you, if you make that declaration before others, he'll make it before his father. So on the count of three, one, two, three, you need to make a decision for Jesus. Just lift your hand up, lift it up. Come on, don't be ashamed. Man, don't be ashamed of what God wants to do in your life. Man, hands are going up all over the place. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, yes, I see you. Thank you. Yes, I see you back there. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud. God, I just come before you. I thank you that you sent your son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for me. To take care of my sin to take care of my mistakes, to take care of my pain. I confess my sins to you and ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Fill me with your life. God, remind me continuously that you're for me. And no matter what circumstances I'm going through, no matter how messy it feels right now, God, let me know that you're right there with me in my mess, pulling me out of it to overwhelming victory. God, we thank you for what you're doing here today. In Jesus' name, amen.